Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. <laughs> Time for School, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. They, the authors of this piece of research, did not write academically the 80s stunk. Those, right. those are my words. Please don't put those to the authors. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show, not broadcasting from the campus southeast in Louisiana University. We're actually broadcasting once again from my house. Why? I'm on vacation, and so is my wife. Oh, yes, I am. Finally. <laughs> what do you get, like four days of vacation oh, it per year? it took all year to get here. It really did, yeah. Your job at the sweatshop is wonderful, but you make fantastic clothes for the people of the United States. Much you, like clothes of the 80s. It, yes, yeah. Did you wear clothes of the 80s? I did. Did you? Did you wear the John uh, Jane Fonda leggings? I had the, the leggings. I had the little headband, you know, oh, so I sweat would nice. not get in my eyes oh very nice because you sweated so much during the 80s you were a workout girl I was I did because I you know I stood around and, and watched you through the you know through the big glass you know windows it was a it was terrible being arrested for stalking so often so that's why we got married yes because <laughs> if I didn't I'd have spent so much more time criminal in jail. stalker marry you know, the guy why not I ask about the 80s because today we're going to talk about the evolution of popular music, USA 1960 to 2010. What is that? Well, it was a, an, an academic piece that was published in May of 2015 in the Royal Society Open Science Journal. Doesn't that sound academically interesting? Gotta be true. It is. It has, uh, it has these authors to it. Matthias Mauch, I guess is how you say it. M-A-U-C-H, Mouch, yeah. Robert McCallum, Mark Levy, Armand Leroy. Those are the men who wrote it. Now, I contacted Matthias Mouch, and he's given me permission to use the content of the article. And uh, as asked, as long as I give him permission, I can go ahead and quote it. So please understand, anytime I quote something from the article, it's not from me. It is from Matthias. And once again, thank you so much to him for allowing me to use the content of it. Here's the thing. The reason I liked this and the reason I wanted to talk about it was because I came up through the 80s. I was born in 64, so the 80s are when my music was really big. And when I saw this research piece being talked about in other mediums, when the Discovery Channel wrote on it, when PBS wrote on it, when other mediums wrote about it, they really focused on the part of the research that stated that the 80s was a terrible time for pop music. Oh, now, break my heart. But the 80s were terrible. Let's just be honest. The bad haircuts, the bad music, it 
how can we explain this statistically? Well, Matthias has and his team have done it. So what I want to do is talk about their research, explain what they did, because it is brilliant, and it talks about a lot more than just the 80s. And I can hopefully explain to you, you specifically, my wife, why the music of the 80s was not as great as other times. You like it because you came up through it. You've got some splaining to do. And I will. So we will begin with music of the 80s. Would you like to hear uh, Kyrie by Mr. Mister, or would you like to hear The Reflex by Duran Duran? Oh, both. Uh, but well, you got to pick one. Flip a coin uh, in your head. Kyrie. Kyrie? Fine. Mr. Mister here on Rock School. Coming out of Mr. Mister, and you know, since we're recording this on a Sunday, you've been to church. There you go. There's the Catholic Mass for you out Thank of you. Mr. Mister. Good. Talking about the 1980s, actually, before we get into what the piece of research, the evolution of popular music USA in 1960 to 2010, actually said, let me tell you what these researchers did. They went to the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart between 1960 and 2010, and they used the music information found within that, and they created what they considered a fossil record of music. They took all those songs, and they grabbed a 30-second blip of each one of the songs. Now, right there, some people who are going to decry their research, that's something you can hang your hat on. You can say, well, you didn't do the entire song. You grabbed a 30-second blip of it. And I don't know what 30-second blip they grabbed. They could have just grabbed the chorus, which would make sense to me. Uh-huh. But maybe the chorus doesn't quite represent the song and blah, blah, blah. But the fact remains they only grabbed a 30-second blip. They did it all with computers as well, instead of having a human being sit down and look at the music itself. So okay. maybe the computers made a mistake as well. Again, something that, that if you disagree with the research, you could hang your hat on. So here's what they did. They looked at the harmony relationship between the notes. For example, a chord, like a C chord, like, you know, ABC chord, right? Right. It's made up of a relationship between individual notes. A C, an E, and a G, that makes up a C major chord, okay? You play those three notes together, you get a C major chord. Then they looked at the timbral properties of those sounds. For example, when you're talking about timbral properties, when you play a guitar and play a C chord, you can tell it's a guitar. You take that same C, E, and G, and you play it on a harpsichord or a piano, you can tell it's a piano. You can tell, yeah. They're the same notes, but the timbral sound mm -hmm. will denote to you, okay, that's a piano, that's a guitar, that's a harpsichord, that's a what have you, that's an accordion. It's the same notes, but you can tell it. They then took all of that research and they looked at 12 descriptors of tonal content and 14 of timber. Wow. Okay. Oh, these guys looked at the information from every angle they possibly could. And what was really nice about it is when a lot of people are talking about music, what they do is they look at great events, 
And so they're, they're talking 1960 to 2010. So you have the British invasion, you know, in 64. You have in 69, what is it, Manson. You have Altamont. You have Woodstock. And then what they'll do is they'll look at a great event and then they'll go and they'll say, okay, what happened in music? So they're sort of reverse engineering looking uh-huh. at the music. Okay, these guys didn't do that. What they did is they looked at the music and then they metadata is the best way I can explain it. They tracked it. What happened with chords? What happened with beats? What happened with machinery? What happened with this? What happened with that? And they tracked it over the years without giving a care about what happened in the world around it. Right. Once they had the tracks of what the music did, then they could go back and sort of lay history over top of it and say, well, here, look at this. This is what happened. And I'm going to get to this towards the end of the show. It's so easy to say the Beatles started the 1964 British invasion. According to the research, no, no. Get out. The British invasion occurred when the Beatles arrived, but the United States was already primed. The music was there. All the Beatles did was come and plug it in. They were just ready to go. Interested? I'm very interested. All right, we're going to talk my, about... My head's spinning because right. I can't think like this. Well, we're going to talk about how much the 80s stunk, but we're also going to talk about what it looked like when rap occurred, what it looked like when the hair metal band occurred. There, there were sort of three great events that they talked about. So let's play another one. We'll come back. We'll continue to talk about what they found inside of their research. You didn't pick this one, but... Okay. I, I like Duran Duran. It's, Ooh, the, re- too, you know, it's the reflex here on Rockstar. Okay, we got to play a short one before the first break, and it's good because I have an Elvis Presley song to sort of give an example of the first little bit of research they found, okay? Okay. It is easy to find this online. Simply search the evolution of popular music. That should bring it right up. And if you can get the actual piece, don't, don't find, you'll easily find, you know, so-and-so wrote about the piece. If you can get to the actual piece, the actual journal online, right. you can see all of their, uh, what would you call it, charts, graphs, things like that. Those you can read the content, but it's very academies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They've sort of bulletproofed it, if you will. The charts and the graphs are very, very good. They very quickly show you what they found, and that's a lot of what I'm going off of. The first little bit of uh, information that I found really interesting, the seventh chord from 1960 on, the seventh chord, which is really a, a jazz blues chord, dies early. It sort of didn't fit in rock and roll. Oh, okay. When rock and roll hits, the Mersey beat, the the Beatles coming over, it just dies right off. Now, you find it in earlier, I guess, R&B-flavored music, but you can just see it. When it becomes a visual, when you graph it, when you plot point it, wow, right off the cliff. So what is that thing? Well... Here's a seventh chord. Here's a you know here's the major. I've got my guitar. Here's here's a C. If you can, where's my fingers? There it is. Here's a C. Okay. Here's a C seventh. 
Hear the difference between I it? I do. Seventh. Okay. And here's a minor seventh. I'm going to minor it now to minor. Prettier chords, um, not a little more complex, and they're used to create feeling. They're used to create tension. They're used to create more complex music. Not saying the music became less complex, but rock and roll chords are not as hard. You know, there's a lot of majors. There's a lot of just minors. They don't use as much jazz, not as much, um, how do I put this, not as much jazz, if you will. It's just not as difficult as it went on. And they died off quick. That, that whole statement that rock is just a three-chord twang. It is. It is. It is just that. What does it sound like when a song uses this seventh chord early? Well, here is I Feel So Bad by Elvis Presley. And you'll hear the use of that seventh chord in I'm it. Gonna, I'll be listening right up front. Why the, well, it's used in it all the time. What the okay. seventh chord does is leads you. It's, it's, a, it's a chord that's wanting. It wants to resolve. It wants to do something. So it wants to lead you to the next section. Listen for that. The music kind of wants to fall somewhere else. Take I'm listen listening. To it. you got it? It's Elvis Presley here in Rock School. Feel so bad. Feel like a ball game on Okay, coming into the first break, did you hear it in the Elvis Presley I, song? I did hear it, yes. Yeah, it's, it's something that's a little hard to miss. So let me give you some other things that they found inside of chords. There's more than what I'm giving you, but this is the, the overriding things that I went, oh, how about that? The minor seventh chord that I was talking about, you find a lot in funk and disco and soul, and when you look at it, Funk and disco and soul owned the 70s. So when you see it plotted, boom, in the 70s, it jumps right up. And, Show me. Okay, what does that mean? Well, yeah. well, let me get up here. Listen to this. This is a minor seventh played kind of, I don't know, funky. But then again, it's long train running, you know? Is it really? It's, it's the same chord, so you can put it in rock and roll as well. But in the 1970s, it ruled the roost. Um, what else do they have here? Several specific chord changes became a mainstay in the 1980s and the 1990s when you saw arena rock come out. Right. And you saw sort of heavy metal hair rock mm-hmm. come out. The Motley Crue's, the Ario Speedwagon, Alice Cooper. You can see the chord changes you know, at certain points in time, boom, there was arena rock. Again, they did not look at what was happening in the world and then look at the music. They simply looked at the music and then laid what was happening in the right. world across it. You could simply look at it and say, oh, this is when that started and this is when that started. There was also the concept of no chords. Huh? Yeah, I know. I kind of shook what my head. What? That's when rap music came in. There was no music. There was sampling. At, at some point in time, and you'd have to look at the charts again, and I've, you found it on your, your iPad over uh-huh. there. There are the chords, 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 and then there's a dip. What, 
what happened? Where are the chords? <laughs> Rap music came in. There's no chords. Oh my gosh. And you, once you lay it across the top, oh, it's clever as anything. So those are the chordal structures. And I only gave you a few of them, but there are others. And if you look across the, you know, across the, what would you call it? Uh, runs of, of chordal um, explanations that they have created. As you're looking at it, you're going, oh, that's the 70s. That's the 80s. It's blatant. That's, huh? Oh, it's blatant. It's, what they've done is just clever as anything. So we got to take a break. We'll come back and we'll start talking about the 80s. What, what happened with the 80s? Why is it like this? Nothing happened. Yeah, you're, you're right. That's part of the problem. <laughs> oh, so, no. Back in a minute here on Rock School. talked about chordal changes beforehand there's also all these timbral changes Uh changes in timber that's the relationship between the notes okay that's a piano playing it that's a guitar playing it that kind of thing it's more than that but i needed to explain it very quickly keep it simple for me right i'm trying to kiss keep it simple stupid the evolution of what they call t4 their fourth timbral look showed a return of timbral prominence qualities in the 1970s, right? There's the bulletproof of it all. What does all that mean? Okay, you ready? The guitar underwent two full cycles in 1966 and 1985. Because you think the guitar has always been prominent. No, no, it hasn't. Other instruments came up and went down. In fact, in the 1980s, it was electronic instruments, That became prominent. Even electronic drums. Mm -hmm. Remember Phil Collins? Every time you hit a snare, it was like a shotgun going off in a hallway, right? So 1966 and 1985, and you you shake your head again going, you know, uh, what happened in 1985? Well, think about it. That was the Motley Crue. That was all of that. 1966, what what was the insurgent of all of that? Well, think about it. 66 was two years after the British invasion. Everybody wanted Stones, to sound Beatles. like the Beatles, right? Yeah. But it was also the second wave of it. That's the Led Zeppelin. That's the Who. That's the Kinks. That's, so it's getting harder. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, that's not the poppy, cutesy stuff. That's Stones. That's obviously the Stones came in with, with the Beatles. But the harder stuff is coming in in 66. And there is also even more an upward push in 2009. What's that? Well, it'll take until the 90s for grunge to come in, but the thing they push throughout this all the time is grunge didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, it's not like the whole world is just sitting there and then boom, it occurs. That's what it felt like. That's Of course, that's what it feels like, but what they show in numerous places is that when grunge hits, the prime is pumped. It's ready to come, and then boof, it comes. Same thing, and we'll get to this before the end of the show. The British invasion just didn't happen. The prime was pumped, was ready to go. And if you want, when when Ralph Wood did the four-part punk series, mm-hmm. he even said it himself. Grunge didn't come out of nowhere. He said it himself. If 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 Nirvana shook you, you weren't looking. The prime was pumped. Gotcha. These guys are just saying it in a academic fashion he said it in a music fan fashion 
same thing. This is extremely clever. If you get a chance to read it or at least look at the, the charts and graphs, you'll really enjoy it. I talked about disco. Oh, you're not going to play a disco song. Yeah, you are. Yes, I am. It's La Freak. It's Chic here on Rock School. Listen to that seventh chord. It's a minor here on Rock School. Coming out of Le Freak, it says Chic. You know why it's called that? Uh, why? Why the band got turned down at Studio 54, and uh, they went home and started yelling, ah, F you, at each other. Really? Because they were turned down. They weren't allowed to get in, and that turned into Le Freak. That, that really, turned into a lot of money. That turned into a tremendous That's a great story. amount of money. Now, it's one of those disco songs I think you're allowed to like, even if you're a rock person. I don't expect you to put on platform shoes and a wrap dress, but I still think I think it's one of the you can enjoy. So I'm going to talk 80s, why I think the 80s stunk, but uh, they put it in a much better academic fashion. Bottom of the hour, my name is Joe Burns. You are? I am Tammy Burns. Let's talk about seven days and 70 seconds. These are the rock and roll dates, June 29th all the way through July 5th. Let's find out what happened on those dates. I believe you have Monday. Go. June 29, 1969, American soul singer Shorty Long drowned at age 29 after his boat capsized on the Detroit River in Michigan. June 30th, 1977, Marvel Comics launches a comic book based on the rock group Kiss. July 1st, 1957, the headlines of Billboard magazine say, in quotes, good music may be making a comeback on the bestseller chart, but rock and roll disc continue to dominate the pop market. Love it. July 2nd, 1962, Jimi Hendrix was honorably discharged from the 101st Airborne Paratroopers after breaking his ankle during his 26th and final parachute jump. July 3rd, 1969, the Rolling Stones' original lead guitarist, Brian Jones, was found dead in his swimming pool just three weeks after he was kicked out of the band. July 4, 1982, after being divorced from his first wife, Thelma Mayfair, last year, Black Sabbath's Ozzy Osbourne marries Sharon Arden. His drummer, Tommy Aldridge, served as best man. July 5, Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers has an operation in Los Angeles to remove nodes from his vocal cords. I've had that surgery. It is about as unfun as it possibly can be. Okay, 1980s. Yay, we're here. Here's what else the piece of research did. It looked at levels of diversity. Four levels of diversity. Rate of turnover of unique songs. Number of styles and topic diversity. Number of musical topics used within each year. And total standard deviation within a year. I.e. how much do each of the three previous actually diverse from one another. Standard deviation is a statistic that shows how much the elements deviate from a single point in the middle, okay? The 1980s just didn't have as much diversity as any other decade. 
it Meaning seemed, it was all alike? Yes. One song sounded like the next song sounded like the next song sounded like the next song. So I, when I say the 80s stunk, I guess if you liked the music, if what they were producing is what you liked, then you loved the 80s. Yeah. But if you wanted to hear this kind of song, then into another kind of song, then into another kind of song, tough luck. That's the first thing. There's something else, but that's the first thing we're going to look at. So we go on. Let's play an 80s song. Come I don't know what it was. We loved the Germans in 1980. It's just we loved the Germans. We even liked them singing in German. Here you go. second break here on rock school we talked about in terms of style and topics and things like that there was little diversity Mm -hmm. in the 1980s now they the authors of this piece of research did not write academically the 80s stunk Those, those are my words please don't put those to the authors so here's another thing they talked about remember they researched what chords were used and they researched timbral the properties the sound not just what notes were used but how the notes sounded here's another thing they found out about the 1980s when the 1980s started and again we're going to talk about because some people are right now going now wait a minute it wasn't just the same type of electronica dance music didn't the hair metal movement start in the 80s yes yes didn't michael jackson pop in the 1980s yes and and we're going to talk about that in just one second the early 80s according to the research was dominated by machines computers even the drums even the guitars, there were guitars that were electronic. I played one. I never owned it, but if you remember, I was in a band called Rick and the Rockets. Uh-huh. I was a rocket, right? One of the guys that played every so often with us, I think it was a Roland. He played an electronic guitar. In the I big, remember that, it yeah. Had, it had no strings. Yeah. It, you plucked like little three-inch strings down at the bottom. Mm-hmm. He could set it to be a flute, to be a banjo, to be a what have you. And he just thought that was the greatest thing in the world, except it all sounded like a, a bad 8-bit Casio <laughs> keyboard every time. And he'd set it up and he'd go, listen, this sounds just like your Les Paul. No. No, man. No, it doesn't. Because my Les Paul is coming through a Marshall and yours is coming through, you know, an 8-bit Casio keyboard. But that's one of the things that happened. The songs not only did not have a diversity of topic, and didn't have a diversity of thought process, their sound did not have a diversity of frequency. They were all within the same general frequency range. Now, the second landmark that they're talking about came in 1983, 1984, when more aggressive, more guitar-based rock, and they don't say it is a reaction to the 1980s, but I don't doubt that it was possibly or in part because of that. In fact, when Van Halen 1 came out in 1978, 79, depending on when you consider it coming out, its release date or its hit, um, you're talking about 
or Eddie Van Halen has talked about the fact that we were in this sea of dance music. Right. How in the world were we going to get hit? So it's not all the 80s. It's the beginning of the 80s. So that's what they mean. And that's what I mean when I say the 80s stunk. So there you go. That's the thought process. So what about the idea that the Beatles didn't start the British invasion? I can't even imagine that. We will begin that as soon as we finish the break. Got to take one here on Rock School. Coming out of the break, what's the story you have always heard of the British invasion? 1964, actually 1963 it started. Please Please Me is released. It gets picked up. The Beatles are huge in uh, in the UK. Right. It gets picked up by a couple radio stations here in the United States. Stories begin to be told of this new mop-top group out mm-hmm. of Liverpool. Slowly but surely, they begin to build momentum here in the United States. I Want to Hold Your Hand is released around Christmas. Here they come, you know, onto the tarmac at JFK. Girls screaming. Right. Ah. February on on the Sullivan Show, and then kaboom. Right. The British invasion occurs. It is the Beatles that did it. Eh, Not so quick, says this piece of research. According to their, their fossil records of music, the prime was already done. The pump was ready to go. Okay. The music of the United States. I have stated myself when I did the the two-part series on the British invasion that the only music that was being played on the radio was the stuff by Bob Dylan, the stuff by Joan Baez. We were in a funk here in the United States. The, The assassination of President Kennedy had left us in such a way that what we needed was the Beatles. You know, they needed us, we needed them. Right. And when their good time rock and roll hit us, kaboom, that's what we needed. Not so says this piece of research. It says here that all the way back in 1961, music with the same chordal structures and music with the same timber as Beatles music was being produced. The kids knew what the sound was. It it was new-ish, but they knew it. Here are some examples. Shop Around was out in 1961. The Beach Boys start releasing music in 1961. Telstar by the Tornadoes was out in 62. The Ronettes, Be My Baby, 1962. Busted by Ray Charles comes out. Lots of Ricky Nelson. Jay and the Americans, Jan and Dean. Eddie, uh, Dwayne Eddy, Chubby Checker, Dion, Neil Sedaka, Joey D and the Starlighters, Bobby Darren. This stuff is already coming out before the Beatles hit our shore. And this music, according to the research... No, it's not Beatles music, but it is in the same realm. Right. It's in the same general area. So when it hits, when the Beatles arrive, it's not like this is an explosion out of the blue. People were ready for it. The pump was primed for it. Logical? I I like it. That's what they say. 
you know, welcome to the world of music. Feel free to grab a beer, sit down, and <laughs> argue until the sun goes down. So here's another one they suggested. Leslie Gore, It's My Party. Sounds like this on Rock School. Okay, coming into the last break here on Rock School, just simply running out of time. If you want to find this piece of research, do this search. The Evolution of Popular Music, USA, 1960 to 2010. How quickly were you able to find it on your iPad? Less than uh, 20 seconds. Excellent. And... Aren't the charts wonderful? Uh, the charts need to be turned into T-shirts. Oh, I agree. They're beautiful. That's an excellent idea. That Matthias, T-shirts. People I would, would buy it. People would put, I'd buy it. People will put these on T-shirts and people will buy them. Once again, thank you to Matthias Mauch, I assume. M-A-U-C-H. We emailed one another, so I don't know the exact pronunciation of his last name if I'm screwing it up. Mea culpa. Also, Robert McCallum, Mark Levy, and Armand Leroy, I assume. It might be Leroy, L-E-R-O-I. It was published May 2015 in the Royal Society Open Science Journal. If you are a fan of music, I urge you to go and look at this. If for nothing else, again, the charts. The 1980s, if you remember the 1980s as good music, check yourself. Um, but if you if you want to continue saying the 1980s were good music, hey, Knock yourself out. I still like a lot of stuff from the 1980s. I hate to admit how much I like Rock Me Amadeus. Now, let's talk one more little blip from the piece of research. It says, rap and its abolishment of chords kicked off the most recent surge in musical diversity in 1991. And this is a quote here that I'm about to read from Mouch himself. Rap and hip-hop saved the charts from being too bland. That wasn't from the piece of research. That was from an interview that he gave. Mm Mm-hmm. It seems that Yo MTV Rap, uh, Yo MTV Raps, the uh, the MTV show, obviously introduced a nation to this new format, and then in the uh, 1990s, grunge and alternative bands go ahead and diversify the rock and roll landscape. It just keeps happening, and it will happen again. Go ahead. What are we being primed for now? I don't know, and I I would love to be able to, and I guarantee so would the record companies. I'd love to know what the next big thing is. It, it seems with this is the first piece of research that seems that they could possibly l- logically put a finger on what is to come. Right. Draw the line, but keep the line going. Yeah. See where it actually runs to. You know that every record company in the world would like to have that piece of information. Yes, they would. So they could sign those bands right right now now every yeah. every band would like to know that so they could write that song now they could write the next smells like teen spirit but i i don't know that you can do that i mean people's wants and likes and dislikes wax and wane with the you know with the wind it could very well be I, that I, we'll I love it i don't i don't buy that Oh, I do. You know why? Why? Because we were already being primed for every evolution of music that came up. Um, So we're obviously being primed for the next thing. You know? Yeah. I tell you the one I would like to see. I'd like to see rap music have a tremendous evolution. Right now... The, the mainstream rap music, to me, is, is too homogenized. It all sounds the same. 
I would like to see sort of a grunge thing happen with rap music. I would like to see the entire um, hip-hop community find some new thing. I like it. Right. I would like to see that happen. I don't know that it will because I think the the people who put out, the producers, the, the labels and such, I don't think they'll allow it to happen because they've seen it happen. The money's too good. I think they'll sort of stop. It would have to be a tremendous underground movement. So thank you to everybody who created the piece of research. And once again, feel free to go take a look for it. It's available. They've made it open to you. The Evolution of Popular Music, USA, 1960-2010. We'll finish with a grunge tune. We will finish up with the Melvins. My name is Joe Burns. You are? I'm Tammy Burns. That wraps it up. Class is dismissed.